All right, gang, I think you're really going to like today's episode. I talked with Brett Goldstein. Brett writes a social science newsletter, and he's also part of the On Deck program. And one of the things that On Deck is doing right now is they've sent a handful of their members to live in a house together in Tulum, Mexico. And they're launching products together, but they're also making content around what they're doing. So there's a lot here that is very related to some of the ideas that I've discussed in previous episodes. And Brett's just an interesting, smart dude who's got a lot of insight. So he drops a whole bunch of nice social science and psychology bombs that are relevant for creators and newsletter writers. And you all know I like talking mostly with people that are hustlers and talented and doing something real and good, but at the early stages. I find that actually more interesting. And because anyone can go like find the top, the quote unquote, top performers. I'm Tim Ferriss. I'm going to get the top performers. Well, you know how many fucking podcasts out there just suck the dick of top performers? Uh, A lot. Yeah, it gets boring, right? So I think much more interesting is talking with people who are actually in the thick of it at early stages, who are smart and succeeding, but who are still facing problems and different challenges. So uh, Brett is a good example of that. Uh, So we talked about building a newsletter, a lot of interesting stuff there. Uh, Brett also had a few more pieces of wisdom for just kind of the psychology of creating content online in general. There's some good stuff in there about Twitter in particular. And what else? Yeah, we also got to look under the hood a little bit about what's going on in Tulum, Mexico. And uh, it's I'm just super interested in learning about the different experiments. There are many different experiments right now, people with co-housing and different things like that. So I'm super pumped on all that. And it was really cool to learn a little bit about what they're doing now. And also he gave us a little bit of a glimpse into what they'll be doing moving forward with the launch house. So uh, yeah, there's a lot here of interest to me and I think a lot of you. So I hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, my name is Justin Murphy and this is the Other Life Podcast, where I talk with indie creators, digital hustlers, and unique internet personalities about how to escape from institutional conformity and succeed on the internet instead. To learn more about the Other Life Project, go to otherlife.co, that's otherlife.co. And if you like what I'm doing, I just have one quick favor to ask. Please go and just leave a review in iTunes. It really helps others find the show, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and a big shout out, especially to my patrons. I could not do this without you all. So thanks. And now, on to the show. All right, we are live. Welcome back, everybody, to the Other Life podcast. Thanks for coming out. As always, I'm excited for today's talk. I'm talking with Brett Goldstein, we're going to talk about his newsletter, which is a social science themed newsletter. And the reason I'm really interested in Brett's project and why I think my audience will be especially interested in Brett's project is because his newsletter is very much in the mold of what I call the indie thinker model in that he's really leveraging relatively disinterested, relatively academic research and knowledge to nonetheless make an interesting play for a kind of financially sustainable internet creative project. So uh, I know people that listen to my podcast are very interested in this kind of stuff. Everyone knows I'm super interested in this stuff at the moment. And yeah, I think uh, Brett's a smart dude with an interesting model that would be of interest to not only myself, but many people in my audience. So that's why I had him on. Brett, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, totally. I'm excited to kind of pick apart your project and learn a little, little bit more about 
the model that you're building, uh, how, how you think about your, your creative and intellectual work uh, as a business model. So if you don't mind, maybe for my audience, if we could just start by, why don't you just tell us what is your newsletter, socialstudies.news? Uh, what's the elevator pitch? Uh, Social Studies is basically a newsletter that is at the intersection of technology and the social sciences. So really, there are uh, two or three parts. Um, first part is uh, I round up all the most interesting news uh, that happened on tech Twitter. So I take uh, all of the most interesting discussions and tweets that happened in the past week, summarize them for you every week, uh, and throw, throw in a few of my own thoughts. Um, on top of that, I also will take, uh, do deep dive analysis um, on these kind of uh, tech news topics or even longer term tech to topics, um, so, such things as like, um, you know, how platform shifts work and then uh, relate concepts from the social sciences, psychology, philosophy, economics, linguistics, and, and relate them to uh, those topics uh, and uh, come up with some interesting stuff to say. Right on. Okay, cool. And who do you see as your ideal reader? Who are you really trying to reach and to help with your newsletter? Um, it's truthfully, it's really everybody in the tech industry because I believe uh, the social sciences are the most important uh, discipline, uh, even beyond the technical disciplines, uh, for building for humans. And we're all building for humans. But may, probably more specifically, it's it's uh, the social science majors who find themselves per perhaps a little bit lost and confused in the tech industry, uh, which, you know, verbalizes that STEM majors are basically the only important major in the industry and that, um, and that caring a lot about Immanuel Kant or, uh, or, um, you know, uh, cognitive linguistic theories is a waste of time. Uh, and so my, my message is to them. And very interestingly, um, had this newsletter been out, you know, two decades ago or something like that, my audience probably would have been Paul Graham and Peter Thiel, because these are actually individuals who, uh, care a lot about the social sciences. If you read uh, a lot of their work, uh, Peter Thiel, Competition is for Losers, that's game theory. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, Paul Graham's writings, a lot of Naval, uh, Balaji, all of these all of these incredible technologists are really social scientists deep down, but uh, will we'll ra rarely verbalize it. So they're my audience too. Okay, so that's kind of interesting to be to be aiming for quite different types of people, right? Is that hard? I mean, to, to present ideas in a way that, is ideally useful for undergraduates who maybe are not that sophisticated uh, and also appeal to you know, far more sophisticated, uh, more mature individuals? Um, yeah, I would say so. So, I mean, when I'm presenting these concepts from psychology or linguistics or something, I'm obviously presenting them in a very like rudimentary sense. Uh, the benefit though, is that nobody's really doing this right now. So the, the people who who are linguistics, you know, experts and PhDs and whoever, they haven't seen these concepts related to, to technology in the way that um, I've been, I'm putting them together. So despite the fact that they know all, all about conceptual metaphor theory, uh, they haven't seen that connected to alternative meets. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Novel. Makes sense. Now it's always hard to, it, now it is a, a paid newsletter, right? There's a free tier and no. a paid tier. Is that right? No, it's all free. Oh, it is all free. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure. Um, great. So let's pick that apart. So was that, uh, presumably that was a, a conscious strategic decision. There's a huge explosion of paid newsletters. So why did you decide to keep it all free? Um, several reasons. Uh, I think the, the, the simplest reason is that I'm still early on and um, only about probably like 2,500 uh, subs right now. Okay. 
Um, been growing pretty fast, but especially since actually some context is the newsletter used to be entirely focused on uh, news from tech Twitter. Um, and then uh, probably two, three months ago, I pivoted uh, it to also include the social sciences. Uh, and that was because of a personal thing, because I, it's my passion area. It's, it's what matters most to me. And uh, I don't want to be a news junkie my whole, whole life at the same time. Uh, nobody else was covering tech Twitter uh, news like I was. So I felt like that was an important piece to uh, continue. But again, still early on. And I guess one of the most important considerations when you're turning your newsletter into a paid newsletter is that you're blocking some content behind a paywall, right? And you're also committing to doing a certain number of pieces every single week. I'm averaging about two a week. Um, but I think uh, it's, you know, I'm still, I'm so oriented around growth. And so I don't want to block anything right now. I think, yeah. I think that's totally the right move. I mean, I, I've talked about this a little bit also. I think people are like way too uh, gung-ho about trying to build a paid newsletter. And uh, so I think that's really smart. I mean, I also, the, the other, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because I also completely agree with your hunch or your hypothesis that social science is way more valuable than people realize. And it's, it's a whole wealth of knowledge that is much more practical and valuable than people realize. And it's, it's being significantly under exploited. Like you're right. There are not that many people out there um, distributing serious social scientific knowledge for these different use cases. So I think I, I really like your hunch. In other words, I, I agree with you and, I, and I'm, and I'm bullish on, on the larger idea that, that underwrites this, this project. So it's, it's exciting to, catch you early on. It's, it's exciting yeah. to learn more about your project and how you see things at this relatively early stage. Cause you know, a lot of podcasts, you know, it's all about like, people always want to get the famous people, the people who have like huge numbers, the people who are like making millions of dollars. But I'm actually often more interested in uh, people like you at, at a stage such as the one you're at with your newsletter. I want to learn about people um, early on and like how you're making these decisions uh, live in a way. So, yeah. so you decided to keep it free. Uh, you decided to, uh, keep an open schedule. So you're not, you did not pre-commit to a certain release schedule, if I'm understanding correctly. Is that right? I, I, I kind of do. Uh, so obviously one part of the, my newsletter is, is uh, roundups of what happened on tech Twitter every week. So I roughly commit to do that, doing that every single week. Um, I've missed maybe like three or four weeks over the course of a year um, okay. or delayed them um, for one reason or another. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not super militant because I think a lot of newsletter writers will say you, you, your audience expects your newsletter on a certain uh, a certain time cadence, and I think that's true if you have a massive audience. But nobody's going to you know unsubscribe from you if you if you are late by a few days, especially if it's high quality. Uh, and then obviously, if I'm spending you know that amount of time doing the tech Twitter roundups, I need to also spend time doing the uh, doing the social studies stuff, doing the um, social studies analysis. So. Um, those pieces take a lot longer. They're usually more well-researched and uh, those are my babies. So it's like, <laughs> it's hard to turn them out all the time, but uh, having a, having a, like a weekly cadence with those is what I've been shooting for. I get it. So you aim for the tech Twitter roundups to be consistently weekly, but then the other ones are, you allow yourself to do that at, at whatever pace you can. Yeah. But I try to, I try to do them. I try to do them weekly and, and they definitely do you know, there are cadences where it definitely happens weekly, but it's not always the case. Right on. Well, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's often smart to not over promise or over commit. Like I'm absolutely going to have X, Y, and Z, um, X amount of times each week. I yeah. think to, to leave yourself a little bit of wiggle room there is smart. Yeah. Um, 
So, okay. So how, so you have about 2,500 subscribers you said, and how long ago did you start it? Uh, so again, the, the tech Twitter TLDR was about a year ago. Um, okay, that was right. just the, that was just the Twitter newsletter, which, um, I have some thoughts about, uh, what types of newsletters grow faster than others. Uh, oh, please do. Then, Tell, please share. Yeah, yeah. So the, the long story short is that, uh, weekly news and link roundups just are not shared very much, right? Unless you're doing it, unless you're, it's particularly like the number of different stories in a single newsletter is probably inversely correlated to how shareable that piece of content is. Hmm. So shorter, the better for sharing, you think? No, no, no. The number of store, number of different stories. So the more, the more focused your story is, the easier it is, more likely it is for somebody to share. So typically with a news roundup, you're basically saying, here's 20 things that happened this week. Where's 10 things that happened this week? Right. right? And so that's less of a that's less less of a shareable moment than something like, hey, here's this Italian art form called sprezzatura, and like it shapes everything in the world. Cool. Right. That is one thing you can get excited about. That's one thing I can share with lots of people. Um, there's also a number of you know a, a number of I think proven models for what type of co newsletter content is shared regularly, um, and weekly news roundups is not that. Yeah, that sounds really smart. That's that sounds totally right. Actually, do you have do you have offhand the, uh, the other learnings from that research? Yeah. Like what 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 other templates are more more or less likely to be shared? Yeah. So um, there's this there's this concept called uh, um, basically what's happening right now is that we're seeing kind of the Wikipediaification of newsletters, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think the most shared newsletters are ones that are similar to Wikipedia pages. They're exhaustive, deep deeply researched, uh, you know, often collaboratively researched uh, information about one specific uh, topic. So one of my favorite recent examples of this is Packy McCormick. Um, he writes a newsletter called Not Boring. Um, he started his newsletter and the general idea was let's talk about general business stuff, but like integrate pop culture in a really fun and interesting way. Cool. That, mm -hmm. he, he did really, really well. He, he did exceptionally well. Uh, and he really, really started taking off uh, when he started pivoting his newsletter to be entirely company deep dives. So now he he's doing this. Uh, you know, there's Turner Novak is doing this. Several other writers are doing this where they're doing t company deep dives, where they're basically going and showing the entire company history, uh, you know, all of the product offerings of a certain company, the, pro the, the bear case, the bull case, why it's a great investment, what's a bad investment. And so anybody who is a retail investor, who is their audience, probably, um, can look at that and say, cool, now I can make my investment decision on this really well-known stock, this really no well-known equity based on this. So those, those things get, tend to get shared a ton. They also get shared internally at those companies that they're written about. Uh, so that's just one example. Dave Perel uh, has a more abstract th theory where he says, um, basically, make your, make your one essay the place to go for one piece of content, one piece of information, right? Mm -hmm. Peter Thiel's religion. That's everything I need to know about how Peter Thiel thinks. That's the only thing I need to re read, right? Right, right. That, I mean, that's kind of like an old school, like SEO idea too, that you want to make this uh, kind of like one-stop shop on a topic. You want to be like the, totally. the single article that completely dominates other articles purporting yeah. to explain some particular thing. Yep. So yeah, that that's a really good insight. And it definitely squares with, what uh i observe also in the in the kind of newsletter game uh so i think that's right so when you started 
I guess that's why you started doing uh, more focused essays in your newsletter uh, to to better aim yeah. for that type of content model. And did you notice more growth with those, more shares and more totally. growth with those? Totally, totally. And it's for me, it's particularly about the messaging or message that I'm saying. So nobody wakes up in the morning and is like, I wonder how I wonder how conceptual metaphor theory from George Lakoff relates to tech technology platform shifts. Uh-huh. Nobody's like, oh God, like thank God somebody put this together. So now I can understand this. Nobody, literally nobody thinks that. And so my, I'm not going to say, you know, that means my content is less shareable because it, it is very shareable. That, that essay did very, very well. Um, but it's not a, it's not as cut and, it's not as cut and paste in black and white. I don't have a, I don't have a clear algorithm that I can, I can go by. Actually, I kind of do, but like, I don't have as easy an algorithm where I can uh, say, which, what's the next company on my list? I do go, I, I do go and look at like, okay, what are interesting, uh, you know, phenomenon or studies from psychology or philosophy or something like that? What would, what what would, um, what would Nietzsche say about like user experience design, right? Like these are very interesting, very interesting questions. Uh, but again, nobody's waking up in the morning thinking about these. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, and the other, I think the other important thing about my newsletter is that this is something I think a lot of people under I guess under discuss is like, how optimized do you want to be? So mm. once you're in a game for long enough, you're going to understand the rules of the game. You're going to see who's winning and who's losing, and you're going to understand what makes a winner and what makes a loser. Right. And so the question that most people should ask themselves, everybody strives to be winners, right? Everybody wants to be these massive breakout successes, but often going towards that winning route, trying to become a winner deviates a little bit from who you are as a person or what your interests are, right? Totally. You know, on, on a given day or week or time period. And it's not that, you know, it, it's the best position to be in where your identity is aligned to a winning growth identity, but that's not always the case. And so I feel friction uh, very often where I'm, I want to write about something and I'm just going to write about it, but I know for a fact, another topic that I could write about or a way I could write about it would, would cause much more viral growth than uh, the way I choose to write about it. Right, for sure. Yeah, but you're content with that. I'm content because I'm making the explicit decision. Like I'm, I'm aware of these decisions. Yeah, I completely know exactly what you're talking about and also completely agree with you that I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move to uh, basically sacrifice a little bit of market optimization f- uh, in the interest of doing like exactly what it is you want to do in your own unique, weird style. And, and I think yeah. your instinct is also right that it gets you that gets you a lot of secret advantages like it's going to be easier to 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 last long you're going to have better longevity and uh you're probably also going to enjoy it more which is probably going to lead you to bring um a uniquely you know superior kind of um a spunk to 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 the to the game when you sit down to when you sit down to work every day and you know you're doing something a little weird a little bit off like the market optimal and you know you could tweak it a little bit and make much more money and have much more growth but you're like, no, I'm going to do it this weird little way yeah. that just, it just, I like it better this way. Yeah. Um, I, I think it makes it a little bit more, it makes the game a little bit more fun. I think um, in a weird way, it also, cause I'm, I'm basically, if you can't tell, I, I think about my own stuff in the same, in a very similar way. Um, like a lot of my stuff has kind of weird branding and is a lot of, and you know, I often see like an easy little pivot where I could just make it like a more traditional like business. Like, um, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, to me, the way that I think about it is like, it also gives you this cool little psychological kind of, um, I don't know. It's like, it's hard to describe it, but 
I'll put it this way. When you allow yourself this kind of like suboptimal model that of course has to be like optimal enough to last and to survive and to grow. It has to be, you know, sufficiently viable, right? But you're sacri- you're leaving a little bit of optimization on the table, even like a good chunk of optimization on the table. When you go to work every day, you're kind of like, you don't fault yourself as much for uh, maybe not like totally killing it in terms of results. Cause you're kind of like, yeah, well, I'm doing something a little weird. Of course it's not going to be huge. And in a way it can be kind of relaxing. It can be kind of like um, you feel, I don't know, uh, kind of protected and, and uh, off in your own little world. And I, I very much like that. I think there are real like creative and intellectual advantages to that to, to carving out that type of niche. Yeah. I, t- I totally agree with you. I think I, I will play devil's advocate here because I yeah. think I, I like doing this with, with my red, yeah. red team. My friend says your ideas. Um, there's a story about this uh, amazing musician. His name, he goes by Ricky Reed right now, but he, 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 his original, his real name is Eric Frederick. Um, I used to go see him in, in high school and he w- he played in this really obscure progressive rock band, just like really hard to listen to for a lot of people, weird time signatures, weird key changes, all that stuff. And his whole thing was, he's like, I want to, I want to make art. I want to, I want to progress the music industry. I want to do something interesting. I don't want to be like everybody else. And after a period of time, he got fed up with it, with, with not having the exposure of the platform mm-hmm. and he started making satirical pop music, like very satirical over the top. He changed his name to Ricky Reed. He started pretending he was a, it was a, one of these shitty like record producers and stuff. And then he got picked up. Now he is the now he's the guy who who made Jason who produces Jason Derulo. He's worked with The Weeknd. He he signed Lizzo to his record label, and he's the guy behind Lizzo. Like and now he's now he's actually you know he did the Trojan horse model. Right? Now he's changing music from the inside. And so you know there's a world where you know it's I I, I haven't reached a conclusion on this on this. Like is it better to actually just hyper optimize and and then do whatever the heck you want after you after you have optimized and you're winning? Or is it, you know, be true to yourself so that you can like feel happy in the day to day, you know? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's probably different for different personalities. But I, I mean, the way that I think about it personally is I think it's cool to uh, basically have a have a pretty standard viable business model in mind. So like you build something where it's like, this is tried and true. There's lots of people doing something very similar and making a ton of money. It's clear that this type of project can work and I have an understanding of how to do it and I'm going to put in the work to do it. But instead of making every little decision geared towards optimizing for a profit or whatever it might be, be willing to like look at that model and be like, okay, here's one thing that I'm just going to be super unique on because I like it because it makes sense to me because that reflects like what I believe in. And maybe it's not even clear. Maybe I can't really brand it effectively yet. Maybe I can't really communicate the value proposition yet, but it's like something I'm, I just, I'm obsessed with it. I see it. And I want to make that my unique little twist, whether or not it it's optimal or not, you know? So that's kind of how I think about it is like, you want to be, you want to grow, you want growth, you need growth, you need profit, you need to see success and it needs to be real. Um, but you can afford to sacrifice a little bit of that optimization yeah. in order to make something like unique and special to you that really like gets your blood pumping and really like makes you want to hustle really hard on it. Cause it makes you believe in it more. Like to me, this is like, this is like the indie thinker model. Like I don't, I don't like, I don't know exactly what that is yet. It's like a vision, right? It's like something I see, I know that it it's there and I know it's not being catered to. I know that it, it doesn't have the kind of public consciousness that it should have. And, and there's still so much to be figured out about it, but it's really like a wager. It's like, 
I, I I'm definitely leaving money on the table by like trying to pursue a vision that is weird and not yet articulated. And, um, uh, but, but it, it, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like if I tried to just do like a normal podcast business or a normal like newsletter business, and my goal was just to make money with something that was like highly reliable to make a lot of money, I could definitely conceive of it. Uh, and, and I, and I could probably, you know, uh, get pretty far in it. Um, but to me, like that would just suck. Like I just, I, I'm not that type of person. I don't have it in me to do that kind of like, uh, optimized business play. So that, that's, that's what I'm hearing from what you're putting down. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'll add here is that I guess one of the, the theses of my newsletter and, and just me in general is that the world and everything operates on fractals and that, you know, you can study any level of a system and it'll be kind of rhyming and synonymous with every other level. And so I think individuals are, you know, individuals and societies are more or less optimized than others. So just in the way that like a newsletter could be better, you know, written to optimize the algorithm to like, you know, get the most shared shares the same way you compare a, an investment banker and an artist or an academic. Like these are two different people. These are people who are not, who are optimizing for t entirely different things. The artist is not optimizing for the money, right? And the investment banker is optimizing for the money potentially, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, it's like artists, you could argue that artists in a sense are disoptimized in the same way that like picking an obscure uh, newsletter topic that is not business related, that is not like, you know, cut and dry finance related that, that you can monetize for tons of money is disoptimized. Right, right, exactly. So like one of my big talking points on the indie thinker model is that you can pursue something kind of radically disinterested. You can have a, a kind of philosophical or a scientific or an artistic vision that you're passionate about and that you want to work on. And you can put you can put a t most of your time into that disinterested, focused, relatively abstract research and work that doesn't necessarily have any immediate value to anyone that they would be willing to pay for, at least not obviously so, at least not on the surface. But you can build systems on the internet that are such that you can fund that work um, through kind of auxiliary uh, mechanisms, whether it be like books or courses or whatever, like there are, or paid newsletter newsletters or whatever the case might be, that you can take a kind of relatively disinterested, seemingly unprofitable thing, but then build kind of tr more traditional profit-based apparatuses and just frame them in a certain way. That's kind of what I generally tell people is like, it's, a, it's often just a matter of a slight difference of framing can take like a totally disinterested, seemingly useless pursuit uh, and, 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 and field of knowledge and just a slight little framing can make it into a number of perfectly profitable and viable operations. So I'm curious, like from your perspective, you know, are there, are there any particularly interesting kind of low hanging fruit in social science literatures that you're aware of that you think, uh, speak to creators in particular? I'm curious. Like, what do you mean in terms of, Oh well, I mean, I, 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 I would say for content creators in particular, as opposed to founders, like, do you think that there are uh, unique uh, kind of psychological learnings or psychological findings or across the social sciences? Yeah. I'm just curious, like, are there particular findings that you think are especially useful for uh, content creators relative to maybe the other people that you speak to, such as uh, founders in the, in the more traditional sense? Yeah, I will, uh, I will share my favorite word right now slash uh, thing I'm exploring for a, for a newsletter that just really excited about uh, the, uh, the word is sprezzatura. It's an Italian. It's a, it's an Italian art form, I guess. Um, and the art form, or I guess it means 
um, to come off like you're not trying very hard, right? And so if you think about like a lot of like achievement or effort on a bell curve, you really want to be in the 70th or 80th percentile. You don't want to seem like you're trying too hard, but you don't also don't want to try less hard than other people. So this applies to basically everything in life, literally everything. So um, there's an expression, I woke up like this, right? I woke up like this means I didn't try when I woke up. I still look beautiful. Like my hair is like whatever, right? Like that's, that's, what, that's the message that is trying to say. Yeah, you see this on Twitter when people write threads. They say a quick thread. Well, you know, they spent hours and hours researching that thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was not a quick thread. They didn't just, they didn't just blast <laughs> so it out yeah. while walking yeah. around. But yeah. why did they say a quick thread? They're saying it's a quick thread to make it seem like they didn't try that, that hard. Um, at Stanford, there's this saying, uh, the paddling duck syndrome. So I didn't go to Stanford. I dated a girl from Stanford, but this is the, this is the saying around campus. Uh, paddling duck is like, if you look above the water, the duck doesn't seem like it's moving. It's like, it's, it's, it's not trying very hard, right? Very calm, very stoic. You look below the surface and it's just paddling its brains out, right? right? So it's a Torah. It's not, it's trying to come off like it's not trying that, that hard. Mm. And so what I'm, what I found from my own exp explorations and experiments in content creation and everything, all the way down to the aesthetic you choose for your newsletter, for whatever you're going to do, making it come off a little bit like you didn't put a lot of effort into it is actually a good thing. It's really important. Hmm. Uh, look at making it look like you tried really, really hard on something uh, doesn't always, doesn't always work out. And the way that I would actually quantify this is that like, it's like the bar of expectation. So when you get a piece of content and it looks like there wasn't a lot of effort into it, expectation is low. Mm. Okay, this is some grainy video and like, who the heck are these two guys? Like, whatever, they don't seem like they're, like they're anybody special. So bar is low. And then when you blow it out of the water, which is much easier when the bar is low, you end up getting a lot more, you know, higher dopamine hits for your, for your audience or whoever you're appealing to. Compared to the other way where if I posted a full-blown like, beautifully created PDF document onto Twitter instead of a tweet storm, instead of just a quick tweet storm, people are going to be like, oh, this is beautiful. This must have a lot of information in it. And they get it. They get it. And they're like, well, there's a good amount of information, but it's not that much, you know? Mm. So yeah. the, it's, it's the, even if it's a little bit better, it's still not as much better as, as it would have been otherwise. Yeah, that's a nice insight. I, I, I think I buy that. And it, it usefully pushes back against something that I think you find in the psychology of a lot of content creators, especially if you're being paid in one way or another for content, like whether it's through patrons or directly, I think there is a mentality often of like, oh, people are paying me for this. I have to show them that it was a lot of work, right? I have to show them I put a lot of hours into this to really make them feel like, you know, their their money is worth it. Um, and what you're saying, it kind of very much goes against the grain of that, that that's, that that's, uh, that's actually like the beta move. You want to actually deliver a lot of value and make it look like you uh, did it just rolling out of bed. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's like, I mean, you always see these, you always meet these people who like, you know, you're in the elevator with them and they just like, you know, talk your head off about some really deep, technical, amazing stuff. And you're like, did you just, did you, are you Wikipedia? Are you an encyclopedia? Like, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, whereas if somebody's like, oh, I've been studying, you know, they're reading out of a book or something. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. That's really good. So, um, okay, okay, interesting. And do, do you do anything in particular to uh, grow your newsletter? Like, do you have particular growth 
hacks or anything like that? Like what's your, what's your kind of routine after you publish a newsletter? Do you have a kind of uh, checklist of like, do you share it to different places? Do you send it to people? Any, uh, what, what does your workflow look like in that regard? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say the main growth things that I'm actively doing or the things that help my growth, I guess, are uh, definitely posting to Hacker News. Mm. Um, I got on the front page once for a an, an essay I wrote called The Unbundling of Harvard Has Begun. I think just people like, probably psychologically, people like seeing big, you know, big brands, like, you know, big elitist brands get torn down like that. Yeah. Um, and so something similar happened when I said, like, the end of Stanford uh, in the venture capital industry is coming. Same, same vibe. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, I think generally having like more grandiose, interesting titles helps a lot, even if you're not saying anything that deep within it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I guess like I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit like a, of a mercenary in this sense where like, I don't care so much about the title. Like I do, I do some, I do a TLDR at the beginning. I don't think a lot of people do this yet, but I think people really should because I've started doing that too. Yeah, yeah. it's so important that the the stuff at the top is is way more important than everything else. Yeah, you should ex- you should expect very few people will actually read your newsletter, right? Um, and, and actually, actually, I think it's kind of again arrogant thing to believe that oh, everybody, all these like thousands of people who open my newsletter, they're they're reading every word and they care about everything I say. No, like they they they, they get fifteen newsletters a day. You know, like you're, you're one of many of them and you are still competing. Even if you think that like you're in their inbox and like you're all theirs or they're all yours, like you still, you're still competing. So you still need to, you're, you're grabbing attention at every level. So first level, the title, second level, the, the photo in the top, the image at the top, next level, the TLDR, third level, the, the, the titles, you know, I think making your, making the newsletters more visually appealing, um, helps a lot. Uh, I just, just in terms of feedback that I've gotten, um, I think there's this whole, um, this whole thing happening. And this this is again, Spezza Torah, where I think academics and very, maybe not academics, but people who want to come off as very intellectually elite, uh, will write giant blocks of text, uh, to make it seem like, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, I didn't try very hard. Or like, I'm, I'm such a thinker or something like that. And they won't, they won't simplify. They won't say very simple sentences or something like that. So I think that's important. Um, other, other, other growth hacks, like really one of the simplest things is, is featuring other people's ideas. Mm. This is one of the main thing. I mean, podcasts are great for this because you could basically go find somebody, uh, work with them for an hour and then they're so great, uh, grateful and they want to share the share the podcast out and that really helps so harry Stebbins is famous for basically building his career on on this whole uh growth hack which is find find smart successful people work with them one-on-one to create some piece of content and have them share it out afterwards what was the name you said how do you spell that or who, say harry, it again harry Stebbins, who he runs 20 minute vc uh his early in in the early days he basically went to he found like no-name founders who of like really small startups. He would interview them about their startup, and then he'd go down the cap table, ping all the VCs who obviously all had hundred, you know, ten, twenty, fifty, hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Said, "Hey, I just talked about your portfolio company. Of course, they want to share that, so they're going to share it." Mm. So uh, I talked to Andrew Chen about this uh, not too long ago, and he was basically saying, "You got to look for these retweetable moments." 
um, I was exploring, uh, I was doing a little bit of like soft research on like kind of the psychology of the retweet. Like what gets, what actually gets somebody to share a piece of content uh, on Twitter, like a reshare a piece of content. Uh, and it's, it's a lot more complicated than you think, <laughs> I'd say. Okay. Do you want to, do you yeah. want to give us the TLDR? Yeah. The TLDR is that, um, so I had this, uh, I guess the, the story behind it is that I was writing these, I'm writing these profiles, these deep profiles of like, oh, this person's great. This person's great. Obviously one of the, one of the reasons for retweeting or resharing something about, about you, if you wrote about me or something like that is the proof of work. The effort that you put in makes me feel compelled to share this, particularly because it, it benefits me. Um, I find all, I actually find most often that people are more comfortable sharing something that's one degree separated from them, but still relevant to them, like their idea or their startup they invested in or, a, or a space that they're, ex, they're an expert in, you know, something right. they don't want, they don't want to share something that's explicitly promoting them. Cause then it looks like they're promoting themselves. Yes. So, right. so here's a fascinating thing. This actually, uh, again, fractals, this, this, this phenomenon is everywhere. Uh, agents in Hollywood. Agents in Hollywood exist to do negotiations on the behalf of the the talent, not only because they're better at negotiations and that's their job, but they act as a layer in between, right? So we're talking about layers in between, not, you know, not wanting to come off as arrogant, not wanting to come off as greedy or asking for money, you know? It, like actors don't want to seem like they're, they're grub, money grubbers. So they have agents going and asking for that money. You know, part of the reason we may hire lawyers is the same thing. Um, yeah. Right. And, and I think there's another, there's another parallel with these uh, new feed, uh, products like Superpeer or Cameo. Um, it's actually really hard for people to price themselves and put themselves online because of this thing. Because there's nothing in the, in the center right now. Uh, Superpeer is working on something. But the idea is that it's much easier to take money from somebody when you are not the one directly asking for the money. Right. Yeah, in a weird way, I think the rise of Substack had a similar effect in that once it became trendy, then people felt comfortable like, oh, I'll start a Substack and ask for money because other people are doing it. And there's this intermediary called Substack, which is like normalizing this idea of asking for money for a newsletter. So uh, like because yeah. you could have anyone could have built a newsletter and asked for money before Substack, like the technology was there are other ways to do it. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's something about having that popular recognized middleman that legitimates it and sanctions it for people. Yeah, and yeah, it's definitely a zeitgeist. Like what, what, is, what should be free and what should be paid? I think what we're entering, I think this, the massive shift that I see happening right now is, is the move from a free open web uh, or free pseudo open web, because you could argue Facebook and Instagram are not open, but they're, right. public, they're public platforms, but you know, the free open public web to siloed and uh, paid communities, right? So. We're going to pay for pay for access to this Slack group. You're going to pay for access to this information in this Substack, yep. right? And that's because people want identity. People want people want people are paying for community more than anything else. Um, and I think this also goes back to Dunbar's number. Um, humans just weren't weren't meant to associate with groups larger than a hundred people. Uh, and this is why we have so many problems right now. Yep. Yeah, you know, I wonder what you think about this from a psychological perspective, because I, I have this theory that I think with the reason why you're seeing so many paid communities, and I've experienced with this now, so this is somewhat an experiential observation, it's that 
on some level, it's like there's so many options on the on the free internet. Like there's so much free stuff, right? There's so many communities. It's so easy to find all kinds of people to talk to them. You can DM all kinds of people. You can make Facebook groups or join Facebook groups with all kinds of people. Uh, but there's this massive choice problem, right? And people, when they're inundated with choice, it's actually really quite stressful. It's impossible to choose which one of these different things to actually invest your time in. Um, and so paying for something is basically just like a forcing function to constrict your own attention and force yourself to only do that one thing. And and like, there's a critical perspective in which you could see this, you could critique that, right? And you could say, okay, well, that's a silly reason to like charge money for something. But when you actually start building online communities and you take it seriously and you try to really deliver value within a community, like I am with indiethinkers.org, you actually realize that the price is a, is absolutely an essential aspect of it working for anyone involved. Um, because if people aren't paying for it, then they themselves can't find the time and energy to really care about it, to really uh, contribute to it. Um, and so I think you're absolutely right. And I would only add that I think um, the the rise of paid communities, paid membership communities, it's it's actually kind of a response to information abundance and yeah. and the and the, the proliferation of choices. It's like people want to and need to pay to constrict their choices. And in fact, it is worth it to do that. It's actually worth it. Yeah, that's a great. That's really really interesting. Um, the thing that I'll relate this to is religion. Um, I think if you look at religion as a framework, uh, it explains a lot of what's, what's happening right now. So religion's great. You know, religion has ritual. Religion has uh, you pay homage, uh, and all of this. You know, religion is basically this highly evolved mechanism for creating deep bonds in, in a in a human community, right? Totally. And you look at the best. Uh, you look at the best communities, best online communities. They have all of these, right? They have people, and these are like like universities. Like people pay a ton of money to go to these, you know, these big universities. Even the even the bad universities, people pay tons of money to go to these things. And uh, because they are, you know, they're opting in in this way, they feel obliged uh, to kind of make the most of it and do do what they can with it. So you're totally right on that front. Yeah, that's right. So. Um, do you want, I don't want to keep your, keep you for too long. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about what you're up to right now, which is, uh, my understanding is that you are in Tulum, Mexico. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, so you, uh, yeah. So I, so I recently participated in on deck, which is a kind of a online community, Silicon Valley in the cloud, uh, on, entrepreneur accelerator, whatever you want to call it. It's basically a, an eight week program where, or 10 week program where, you spend time meeting tons and tons of other entrepreneurs who are looking to start companies, uh, linking up, starting companies, not starting companies, doing hackathons, learning, attending lectures, do all, doing all this stuff. They really want to be kind of like the MBA of the future. And they have all basically all of the criteria for an MBA program, probably minus the campus and the, um, the business curriculum, but everything else is probably better than most MBA programs. And in fact, a lot of people from on deck are duly enrolled in top MBA programs. Uh, so we're doing on deck. It's an online community right now. And then uh, a bunch of us who had all only met online were saying, hey, why don't we just meet up in person? Nothing's going on. We're It's locked down. Uh, it'd be fun to just get together and co-work for a month. And so we, we converged on Tulum. Uh, my friend Michael pulled, pulled it all together. And uh, we landed here. And kind of like a week before, it basically didn't have any there are no expectations. There's nothing, nothing planned beyond just kind of let's get together and co-work. And slowly, you know, we got a little cheeky and put up some, put up some so, like a landing page, social media accounts, 
and it turned into a thing, right? It went from being a co-working thing to uh, we had just talked to uh, TechCrunch yesterday and um, Natasha, she was saying that this is the most interesting, like a very interesting take on the whole co-working, co-living hacker house thing. And right, you're calling it Launch House, is that right? Yeah, it's called it's called Launch House, launchhouse.co. Um, basically what it's evolved into is, um, and it, it's all set against this backdrop of where the technology industry is going. The technology industry is, is, is slowly moving into the hands of the influencers, right? Particularly in, in consumer, particularly in venture capital, right? Uh, you're seeing VCs on Twitter focusing much more on personal brand, much more on starting podcasts and newsletters and, and growing email lists and growing Twitter followers and all this stuff. Uh, there's intense competition. That's why. When there's more competition in brand and less differentiation with products, brand matters a lot. So influencers are basically taking over traditional investor, investor roles. Uh, same thing is going to be happening with consumer technology, right? So you need a platform to actually get users, uh, particularly with these creator economy startups. Really, really important that uh, you know influencers are involved. And so I think uh, Balaji has tweeted about this a bunch, but the idea is that the future belongs to these influencers. So uh, how are influencers made? How does how does influencers how do influencers work? Um, in entertainment world, they have these things called TikTok houses, mm-hmm. uh, Hype House, Sway House. These are basically places that people go. They're like modern reality shows. If social media is is the modern television, uh, TikTok houses are the modern reality shows, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so they have these houses which are meant to basically create connections, collaborations, and and expand the brands and the followings of all the people in the houses. So as a joke, we said Launch House is a TikTok house for uh, tech people. Well, turns out it actually is very useful. It's actually not a bad idea. Uh, and so, you know, it, and it's not a bad idea for a number of other reasons. I think one of the one of the truths is um, there's this concept of the invisible college, you know, the invisible, invisible college. It, yeah, it's a it, longstanding concept. There have been a few different instantiations of it. And like there's one in the UK, there's one, my friend Michael Tumim in uh, the Bay Area does one. So which yeah. one are you referring to? I think I'm just referring to the general concept of this idea of a a place where intellectuals gather, right? Right. So, you know, intellectuals and people just always needed these places to gather. Like there's a saying that that, like Stalin, Hitler and Trotsky and all these people gathered in Vienna uh, and that's where they all met. And a lot of people are saying right now, okay, online, this is the place where it's going to be. And I really think Twitter is that right now. But having been at Launch House for the last uh, couple of weeks, Man, like in-person, you know, unstructured interactions is is something that cannot be compared to anything. And mm-hmm. I think I think when you put hyper-creative, you know, hyper-productive people in an environment like this, who are, you know, we're all trying to start things, we're all trying to build things, we're all trying to launch things. Really, really magical stuff starts happening. So um, that's awesome. It's been, yeah, it's that's been really awesome. It's, I mean, I've, I've I've been talking a little bit about this kind of thing and blogging about this kind of thing. And I, I actually, not too long ago, I did a, a Zoom call with a bunch of people that were interested in this type of thing. But it's still just kind of, at least on my end, I'm still just kind of thinking about what the, what is the right model. Uh, so it sounds like from you guys, because I talked with a few of a few of uh, the people in, in your gang actually, and uh, my understanding is that so far the launch house is a relatively just a decentralized informal experiment, right? Like you pretty much all rented a place and you're like sharing the rent. It's it's not like a it's not like a LLC or like a business model yet. It's just no. a kind of early experiment of basically people sharing a house for now, right? So for now, but 
uh, I mean, sharing a house with, and we have a website and all this other stuff. Yeah. Uh, Launch House 2 is starting in like October 22nd, 23rd. And this is, we're going to be, we're going to be running the actual experiment for um, something more. Okay. Um, Specifically around this concept around this social media reality show. Cool. So could you give us a, a, a sneak peek at like what what is the what is the longer term model? Like what what is your vision there? How, uh, how, how could you um, would you mind like or is it like top secret? I don't want to pry. I can, I can share some ideas. We're we're very early on with with this whole sure. event. And Understood, we're of course. Exploring it as we go. But um, basically, if you look at Y Combinator, um, Y Combinator is now a certified B2B SaaS incubator more more than anything else. Uh, and you can tell that because we are seeing this amazing renaissance in consumer uh, tech products right now, right? All specifically with this paid content creator economy stuff, tons of amazing innovation in, uh, in this space, not a drop in the bucket for, for uh, Y Combinator. There's in their last class, there was not a single consumer tech or like hmm. there were one or two. So okay. why is that? Y Combinator uh, wants, they want, they want to kind of guarantee growth. They want to guarantee their success. So they rely on their, their network. What is their network? Their network is a bunch of companies. What do companies need? SaaS, right? And so they basically, they can sell to themselves, right? Like it, it makes a ton of sense. If I were YC, I'd be focused on mm-hmm. as well. Cool. Mm-hmm. So what do we do about the consumer, consumer products? People are still going to need consumer products. People are still going to need consumer software. Where does this, what, what's going to go on in this industry? And this is where the media comes in. This is where having a very, very strong media presence matters a lot. And so I think this is a very hot pie in the sky idea, but like the future Y, y Combinator for consumer needs to be a media company. And virtually the next, the, even Andreessen Horowitz, Andreessen Horowitz was very early on to podcasting and, and, and newsletters. That was, that was one of their many claims to fame as a differentiated venture firm. And so if you think about, okay, what are, you know, if we, if we were to rebuild Y Combinator or Andreessen Horowitz today, what would that look like? Well, investing in media, right? Okay, what are, what are, new, what are media formats that are really important today? TikTok, right? Uh, Instagram, these are the platforms that we're focused on. Um, even crazy things like Netflix, Hulu, who knows, right? You know, what, what would happen if a reality show made by a bunch of tech people wound up on one of these platforms? It, that would be cool. Um, but, and you know, hypothetically, you know, if you build enough of a following, you become in an advantageous position to uh, invest. And so that is particularly true when the entire value prop, the entire focus and mission of the of the company is launching things, right? Right. right? We're Launch House, and we, we've launched we've launched nine products so far, uh, right. and and the entire the entire energy of the house is what are you launching next? What's what are you working on? What are you building? What are you launching? What's your business model? What's your strategy? Uh, we hold these pool storms every every couple of days where like we'll all get in this comedic comically small pool and brainstorm kind of like you know business models and user experience for different people's projects. So it's really it's really a different it's really a different like beast than kind of a traditional hacker house or even like a investment firm. Mm-hmm. For Launch House too, it's really going to be you know a network of houses with with programming and uh, sponsors and, um, you know, uh, you know, a reality show, but, you know, we'll see what happens beyond that. Okay. Interesting. So sponsor model. So that'll be part of the income is sponsors. Have you decided where it's going to be at? Yeah, we'll be back in Tulum. 
Oh, and Tulum. Cool. So yep. why Tulum? What, what's so good about Tulum or why, does it, why is Tulum a great spot for this kind of thing? Tulum is amazing for a number of reasons. I would say, uh, obviously the beaches, obviously the community, obviously the music, obviously everything down here. Um, it's one of few places Americans can go outside the country right now. Um, it is also pretty safe from a COVID perspective. There, there are a lot of tourists coming through, but um, it's a small town. And I think the last place you want to be in is large cities right now. And so when we have strict COVID guidelines, it's really important for us to be uh, careful. Um, it's also very cheap. So we can have a very, very high quality experience. Like we're staying in a full-blown mansion with, you know, three pools and maids and everything uh, for like, you know, the, less than the cost of San Francisco rent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Makes a yeah. lot of sense. Cool. Very cool. Well, do you have any parting words? Is there anything that I can do to help you folks or uh, anything you wanted to ask me? Um, I guess the thing, I guess my ask for the audience and ask for everybody is um, yeah. if you're at all interested in, in social science fields and technology, feel free to subscribe to my newsletter. And then if you're interested in uh, joining the next launch house or the, or the, the one after that, uh, we're particularly looking for people who are, you know, founder hacker types who have, big personalities in air quotes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so if you're interested in that, uh, definitely uh, head over to launchhouse.co slash LH2. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about what you're working on. As you know, uh, I think it's, I think it's only a matter of time before, before um, you know, the world's, the world's brightest minds in academia and, and elsewhere kind of start monetizing their, their brilliant brains. And, and, I'm honestly really excited to see what that does for science and what that does for the world because, you know, the business model has been broken for a long time and I, I'm glad people like you are, are showing, showing everybody the light. Hell yeah. Well, I'm trying to, trying to find the light and show it at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, people listening and like Brett said, uh, you can sign up to his newsletter. It's totally free and it's good stuff. High quality social science teachings that are really interesting for founders and creators alike. Uh, that's socialstudies.news. There's a link in the uh, show notes so people can check that out uh, easily. And uh, yeah, Brett, I just wanted to thank you for coming on again. This was cool. Really interesting to look under the hood a little bit more of the various projects that you're working on. You and I have talked a bit before, but I got to learn much more about yeah how you see things and and what exactly you're how how you're running your own personal kind of intellectual content operations. And uh, it's also really cool to hear the updates on on deck and and launch out. Sounds super exciting. I'm, I'm super interested in that stuff too. I, I completely agree with you folks that uh, it's, a, it's a really promising and exciting next step for where basically like tech and media are going. So uh, I can't wait to see what you folks do with it all. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on to share, share all of this. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, I'll be in touch with you, man. Take it easy. All right, later. Later. All right, everybody. Thanks for coming out. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the channel, like it, reply, all that good jazz. And uh, yeah, I hope you found that interesting. Uh, I'm back on the horse with the podcast. We've got a lot of recordings now and uh, a lot more coming up. So uh, if you didn't get to hear all of this, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast so you can listen to it on your phone and, you know, in, uh, more, convenient ways, in more convenient ways later. So I just go to the Other Life podcast. You can find it wherever. Uh, there's also a link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, if you're working on your own independent intellectual projects and you need your own kind of serious, committed community of other people really trying to buckle down and uh, accelerate their progress on their writing projects or their blogs or books or 
YouTube channels or podcasts or whatever, uh, you might want to check out IndieThinkers.org. You can request an invitation and then uh, I'll get back to you and uh, you can learn more about it. that way if you want to. It's still in development, but uh, I'm pretty excited by it. We got more and more people in there, pretty steady growth each month. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I'm, I'm pretty pumped on it. Uh, I'll tell you more about it probably sometime in the next few months. I've been just working on it a lot, uh, but now it's at a point where I think it's really pretty solid and it's really helping a lot of people. So soon I'm going to do more work to really kind of communicate what what I'm doing with it all and what's going on within Indie Thinkers because it's been a bit, uh, yeah, a bit, not, not like secret or anything. I've been mentioning it in public, but I haven't really been promoting it or really uh, trying very hard to show what we're doing because uh, I've just been building it. So uh, expect that sooner than later. But uh, yeah, you can request an invite, an invite at any time. There's a link to that in the show notes also. Uh, that's kind of my main focus at the moment. All right, gang. Thanks for coming out. As always, hope you enjoyed that. And I'll see you next time. Later. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, you should send it to a friend. Just email it to them or post it on your social networks, whatever. And to learn more about what we discussed in this podcast or to send me questions to address in future episodes, please just go to otherlife.co and you'll find everything there. There's actually a ton of cool stuff on there. So check it out if you haven't already. Thanks again, folks. I'll see you here next time.